1: We all have the ability to make decisions that we want, but ultimately I think it's just that there are so many factors to weigh in it that the right path is not always what might seem to be the best way to go.
0: What's the latest research on the health and environmental impacts of different types of sunscreen? How was our guest today able to go from being a hesitant business owner who never even wanted to do business in the first place to becoming a thriving entrepreneur, fueling her business with her passion for wellness and for the environment. That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Now, just a quick reminder, if you'd like for me to send you a short email with highlights from the podcast every Sunday, you can sign up for free at greendreamer.com. I write these myself and I look forward to sharing my biggest learning lessons with you and connecting with you there. And now onto our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today started making healing products in 1998. Her business, All Good, which is an eco-sunscreen brand, came about from this hobby in 2006. And today, she and her husband and two young daughters live on their organic farm on the central coast of California, living closely with nature, while continually making huge positive impacts with their scaling business. If you shop at Whole Foods, REI, or Patagonia, I'm almost certain that you've seen this brand of sunscreen before. Um, So yeah, you're about to hear from this visionary and pioneer behind the brand herself. Green Dreamer, starting off with what inspired her passion for the environment, here's Caroline Dwell. I think
1: as a child, not to make a too too big of a sweeping statement, but I have this belief that most children inherently have an environmental passion. And I'm seeing it now in raising my own kids, that kids just have that natural level of curiosity toward uh anything that's in their surroundings and particularly the wellness of what's in their surroundings like my little girl catch a lizard but she wants to make sure that she treats it well and that it's going to go back and be safe on its journey so i think that i really was just any old kid that felt that same way and then as i grew older i just sort of held on to that so it was just this sense of taking care of things in my immediate surroundings and taking care of people around me as well and then kind of more on the, uh, on the sort of specific pathway. When I was in university, I worked on an ambulance for four years. So I was an EMT and really closely connected to the hospital and to the process of quick fixing for when people have been broken, whether it's something in their body or something internally. Um, and so, I started to get a really close view on uh, how the medical system is working and and treating various issues, be it an acute situation or a long-term disease. And even though I was so grateful for that experience, a lot of what I saw really inspired me to connect deeper into the concept of healing as a whole and the holistic approach to what people need to have a a real sense of wellness uh, rather than just a quick fix. So I started studying holistic wellness and I I ended up getting a self-designed major in holistic healing through various internships, studying with uh, natural healers, energy healers, doctors, and herbalists.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's really taking a more preventive and holistic approach to wellness and not just fixing the issue once it's there.
1: Yeah, recognizing all the impacts on, on one's individual health and for me that was kind of what led directly to the path of, uh, being making botanical based products because I studied with herbal practitioners and started harvesting, wildcrafting, and harvesting plants and growing plants and learning about the process of plant medicine being integrated into our systems as humans and learning that connectivity and that inherent connection between our wellness as an individual and the wellness of the habitats of those plants that are in turn actually helping heal us.
0: Yeah. And what was something you learned that really fascinated you?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think probably the the most impactful initial experience for that was uh, I took a medicinal plants workshop in Colorado, where I grew up uh, from when I was 10 years old on. And we hiked high in the mountains and studied a plant called osha. And osha only grows above about 7,000 feet in the mountains. And the interesting thing about it is its habitat is really pretty critical. And so harvesting it, um, it has to be done with, with a lot of care and with a knowledge of how the plant propagates so that it can maintain its own wellness as a plant. And so I just was fascinated that First of all, the the benefits of OSHA is that that it's a bronchial dilator. It's really helpful in increasing capacity for breathing, Mm. and particularly good for high elevation issues. So, how amazing, right? There's a plant that grows at high elevations that, hello, it's good for high elevations. And yet, the habitat for that plant, if it's if there's not an awareness about how that plant grows and how that particular environment needs to be cared for, then harvesting it and using it for us won't work because we, it won't last. And so there's a delicate balance between our human needs and the needs of what's surrounding us. And, and particularly in that critical, um, kind of delicate, high Alpine environment.
0: For sure. And then what was the journey like for you that led you to starting your sunscreen brand? All good.
1: Well, that's a long story, but I'll cut to the short of it, which is that I um, moved to West Marin, Northern California, lived on a farm with my boyfriend, who's now my husband, and grew plants that were good for everything from just eating and enjoying, like raspberries and garlic and tomatoes, to medicinal plants for healing. And I made a salve that I initially called All Good Goop, and it was in 1998, and it was all good because. In California culture, there's this uh, tendency to really truncate words and just have short phrases and everybody said everything's all good all the time. So I called it all good and, and it is all good for so many things. And then goop was just the consistency of it. And I just gave it away to friends and family and I was teaching climbing at the time and gave it to climbing clients and doing massage therapy and using it in my massage practice and really using it for myself and for friends as well, selling it at farmers markets, but that was about it. And then I stopped selling it for a bit when we moved to a new area and I started getting calls from people asking for it and pretty much demanding it, saying that they were using it on so many things and how could I stop making it? (laughs) So it was purely by uh, peer pressure that I just kept making it. And at some point I realized I needed to actually make it official and start selling it So I was very reluctant. I consider myself very much a reluctant business person. I was absolutely making medicine, had nothing to do with business, and uh, the business really started me on the entrepreneurial side.
0: What do you think made you hesitant to start a business?
1: Well, I can tell you exactly. It was that I felt hesitant because I did not believe at the time that I could scale a business and grow a business that would stay true to my personal values as the business grew. I was afraid of making compromises in the product in the environmental impacts that I would have um if it got bigger, and so that was it. I just mm-hmm. was like it's you know it's it's sort of I didn't want to sort of sell out if you will
0: yeah, but and has this stood true for you? Well, no, I was going to
1: say what happened is along the way so i, I as it started to grow i I just kept myself in check and I didn't want to be completely resistant to it because there were a number of companies out there at the time that I really valued and really respected what they were doing. So I knew that you could also have a really good impact as a company grows, but I just wanted to make sure that our internal practices also stayed true to that. So immediately what we did was we joined um, 1% for the planet. So we committed sales out of the gate to environmental direct advocacy and uh, environmental campaigns. So that was sort of a a stamp for us to really lay down that we stand for things from a fiscal perspective of just knowing that we commit money along the way. And then the next thing that I tripped upon that I decided to become a strong part of is uh, the B Corporation movement. So as soon as I found out about it, we became a B Corp. And what B Corp is basically like they have an assessment of the, it's called the B impact assessment and it measures best practices for environmental and social responsibility and business. So for us, it allowed us a stamp and a communication tool for making sure that we were keeping in, tr- in check with what, what really is the most important to us, but also to be able to communicate that outwardly. I mean, are there compromises? Yes, of course. Um, just as there are in our daily lives, but really through through those two channels and through our set of core values and our vision as a business, uh, it's kept us on track for making decisions along the way that we believe to be decisions that benefit all rather than just the bottom line.
0: For sure. So as an initial hesitant business owner and someone who wants to make sure that everything you do um, stays true to your values, what has been your biggest struggle building up this business with all of this in mind?
1: Um, I mean, straight out of the gate, I'll say um, packaging. It's it's easy to be very conscientious of what's inside the products because we control that and we decide how we formulate our products. And coming from a botanical medicine perspective, I'm always prioritizing the source of our ingredients. And my husband is on our team and he's a, he has 25 years experience in organic agriculture. So farming is his background And um, and we've been really true to our supply chain, the challenge is how you put it in something and send it out to people. And, um, one of our first years in business, I spent almost $25,000 on doing a full analysis with an industrial engineer on packaging solutions and um, came right back to ground zero, basically where we had already been for what we were doing. So we're dedicated to it and we make really good decisions along the way. Right now our packaging is all produced domestically. We prioritize um, post-consumer recycled content We use non-plastic in anywhere that it makes sense as much as possible, Um, but it's not always the simple solution. So um, my dream is that one day uh, the packaging will have a downstream impact that is as positive as the ingredients do on the user.
0: Yeah. Well, we look forward to you making this possible.
1: Um, Yeah. Thanks. Yeah.
0: It sounds like there are just a lot of business limitations too that are beyond your control.
1: Yeah. I mean, we all have the ability to make decisions that we want, but ultimately I think it's just that there are so many factors to weigh in it that the right path is not always what might seem to be the best way to go. Um, for example, I mean, if you just, it's not a conversation about, um, plastic right now and we know the issues with contamination in the ocean and in general, and I mean, we can go forever all day long on that. Um, but sometimes, um, from if you want to just even look at it from a um, carbon footprint perspective, uh, it's, it takes a lot more input to ship heavier materials. And then you look into where those materials are extracted from and how they're disposed of. And it's a big part of my personal connection to the business because I care about it. And uh, it's just not as always uh, as easy as it as it may seem. Even though I, we have control over, I mean, we could stop everything and just only uh, serve people through bulk containers at stores or something. I mean, there there are many solutions, but it's just not as uh, simplistic as I think it's made out to be a lot of times. So anyway, that's like that's like su- I just jumped to the uh, uh, <laughs> to the super deep personal level as I that's something I want to solve when you ask that question. I'll just transparently say it straight up.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not black or white. And to have the impact that you have today, because your products are like everywhere. I looked up my zip code and there are like a million stores where your products are in. Your products are in Whole Foods, Patagonia, REI. So you've been able to scale the positive impacts with All Good by making it available to people everywhere. What do you think has been key to getting your products distributed and sold in so many major retailers?
1: It's just a matter of of, uh, consistency and perseverance in a way of not giving up. And that's what I was advised a lot in the early days is just there's no magic to it. It's just a matter of of really showing up and boots on the ground and and, uh, being there to connect with consumers and with buyers and to have transparency along the way. So that's it. I mean, it's really so simple. I think for any businesses, if you have a good product and you have a clear message, you understand why you're doing it. I truly believe that that consumers will show up for it. And um, it's just a matter of making sure you're there to answer the phone when they, when they do.
0: Yeah. So just keep at it and show up consistently.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I say, you know, I add with that, like with, you know, with honesty and clarity, I think that's pretty important.
0: Mm-hmm. And then what do you think has been key to growing all good into a leading eco sunscreen brand?
1: Um, well, <laughs> probably a lot of the same things is just, uh, is just really, uh, being consistent. But for us, it, we're clear. I mean, the, the vision of our business is that people are inspired to live in balance with nature. And so everything tracks back to that, no matter what we're doing. And, um, sunscreen is just right in there with any other issue that's growing, uh, in awareness from people is, is like, we're, we're just offering an alternative. And as people are growing their awareness in the, in society around it, we're offering a product that is uh, a great alternative to what's out there. That's, uh, Pretty toxic. So,
0: for sure. So, on that note, you also founded Safe Sunscreen Council, which is a coalition of companies working to raise public awareness about the impact that sunscreen ingredients may have on people and the planet. What was your motivation to start this?
1: That's right. So, as you can imagine, with uh, all of the politics around the issues of sunscreen as well as the environmental impacts, and as the industry is really growing. I started to notice that there was a need for one voice on the side of mineral sunscreens. And many, most of us are small businesses working really hard individually to do the things that we need to do. But as we all know, there are strength in numbers and to be able to have an impact, it's pretty powerful to bring together a bunch of different businesses under one cause. And so As I just started to grow awareness and collaborate, I was doing, uh, our business was collaborating with a lot of these other businesses in various situations, like doing sunscreen exchanges where we would show up in an event and switch out a chemical sunscreen for a mineral one. I was like, it didn't matter if I was handing out All Good or Badger or Mama Kuliana. It's like, it's all better than what that is. So I realized that the line in the sand or the sort of competitive environment wasn't about each of us, but, um, on the mineral side of things, we still make up less than 10% of the overall sunscreen market. So I recognize the importance for us to have a single voice on it. And as legislation was starting to uh, grow, the, a bill introduced a couple of years in Hawaii and then reintroduced this year. And we can talk about that because that's really relevant. Um, it actually passed in Hawaii on July 3rd. The governor of Hawaii, David Ige, is going to sign that bill into law to ban two active chemical sunscreens, oxybenzone and octanoxate, from being sold in Hawaii. So it is amazing that that's happening. And as we were starting to work on that legislation, I was seeing the cohesiveness of the industry leaders and kind of the, the big business side of things coming and playing a big part in the capital and in Hawaii and, and having the strong voice, but they're like paid lobbyists and lawyers and, and really there to just promote business. And on our side of it, it's really about the overall wellness of the reefs and the ecosystems, and in particular in Hawaii, these situations and these, these very specific areas where they saw a decline in reefs from when people would swim there with chemical sunscreens on them. So as I saw that all happening, I realized as well that one voice is what we need.
0: Do you think it's more effective to focus on uh, pushing for policy change, like in this case, or consumer awareness? I know they're both important, but <laughs> what are your thoughts yeah. on that?
1: I think consumer awareness trumps legislation for sure. I think it's more important for people to be aware because ultimately that's what will lead to people caring and actually driving legislation. So the consumer awareness is, is absolutely the most important. That's the first reason. The second reason, which is another consensus that we have on the Sunscreen Council, Safe Sunscreen Council is that legislation is never going to capture the entire issue, right? So this is two chemical active sunscreen active ingredients that have been banned for sale. Um, but that leaves out a bunch of others. And so we recognize that the issue is actually much bigger than that. And this is an amazing first step and needs to be the the first thing that happens to then grow consumer awareness. And then as consumers grow their awareness, they realize that, well, if you just, you know, just change oxybenzone for avobenzone, um, it's not necessarily the actual solution. So then that's where we come in and offer an actual solution. that's not just replacing one chemical for another.
0: And can you share some insights into the latest research we have on how sunscreen affects our health as well as and also the health of our oceans and environment?
1: Sure. It can get pretty technical pretty quickly, but in general... I'll focus on oxybenzone because that is the the most prolific in most sunscreens, and and that's the one included in the in the most recent legislation. But basically, when you look at coral, it's been uh, studied and found to damage DNA. and actually inhibits the coral's ability to reproduce. So it's an endocrine disruptor for the coral. And then um, it causes deformities on the coral itself and then uh, increases the rate of bleaching. So it sort of makes bleaching happen faster. And then on the human cycle, it's pretty wild. I mean, a person can kind of draw the links automatically that coral is an animal and humans are an animal. So some of the systems are going to be impacted pretty similarly. Specific studies done in um, dermatology and in human health have found that oxybenzone can cause birth defects. Um, it's also an endocrine disruptor. So as Feminization of the sperm, or kind of like makes the sperm not work essentially, and then uh, a number of other allergen-related issues on the skin as well. That's basically touching the surface on it. The impacts are are wide and far, and the thing that is the most alarming in all of it is the level of toxicity. We might not think that oh, just putting a little sunscreen on our skin is going to be a big deal, but literally what has been found is that toxicity occurs at 62 parts per trillion, Mm. not billion, not million, but trillion. Um, And so it's a very diluted amount. And the the equivalent for a visual is that uh, it's the equivalent of one drop of water in six and a half Olympic-sized swimming pools causes damage or death, mortality to reefs.
0: So, what can we do as consumers to ensure that the sunscreen we're buying is safe? Is it a matter of making sure it's mineral versus chemical, or...?
1: Yeah, the most basic way we, I can describe it is to, um, is to make sure that it does not contain any of the known toxins. For reefs, um, we actually publish a little um reef friendly guideline uh with criteria on it um that can be found at allgoodproducts.com slash reef friendly. So you have to you can't just look at the front of the sunscreen. You have to turn it over and make sure that there are no chemical actives. And then the actives should be either zinc oxide or titanium dioxide and they need to be non-nanoparticle. That might seem like a lot. But it's actually really simple. Avoid the chemicals, go for the mineral, make sure they're non-nano, and um, that's a place to start.
0: And this is kind of a bigger question, but I feel like with our current system of regulating chemicals within beauty and cosmetic products, it has the mindset of innocent until proven guilty. Like regulations on these chemicals we use aren't going to be put into place until we can prove that they're harmful. But by then we might already have done irreversible damage like we've done to our coral reefs. So Mm -hmm. with this, it feels like we're always going to be one step behind cleaning up the messes that we're creating. Do you see in this industry a possibility in which this system and approach can change to become more preventative?
1: Absolutely. I think that as consumer awareness grows, um, people are starting to do their own research on uh, specific ingredients and the impacts of those ingredients you know, there's just this need to really just simplify everything and then people can regain their trust in the businesses. And on the business side, what I'm seeing is at least from the safe sunscreen council perspective is we're all brands that are transparent about what we're doing, about how we're doing it, about what we're putting in our products. And we want to educate consumers about how to have a very simple, approach to it and, and understand. And we, every single one of us, all 11 members, I can speak honestly that we, we're being very methodical about checking our supply chains and, um, always improving as we're going. There's no sort of perfection in there at all, but I think that we all care about what's in the products and we want consumers to be able to trust what's on the label. So that's probably the most basic part of it. And then, yeah, I mean, otherwise I think, um, I think just, you know, in general and looking, like you're saying, looking at the beauty and in the, in the cosmetics industry, um, I think the, the food industry has done um, a pretty good job at raising awareness around organic and restorative, regenerative agriculture, and I think that that's you're going to start to see that more related to personal care products as well.
0: For sure. And what can we as individual consumers do to support this trend or help it to accelerate?
1: Well, if you're hearing about it here, I think the most important is um, if you have children to educate their institutions. So whether it's a camp or a school that they're not putting chemicals on the kids at the school and the camp, that that's where some of the parents are looking to get guided. So I think that's a really impactful place. And then um, supporting brands on the Safe Sunscreen Council and keeping an eye out for things as they as they come up, and if this Hawaii legislation makes it to the mainland and starts to become an issue, then there'll be uh, another set of uh, things that can actually be a major impact if we start looking at legislative efforts on the mainland.
0: For sure. And what are some upcoming projects for All Good and Safe Sunscreen Council that we can look forward to and support?
1: Well, the biggest, which uh, will probably already be out by the time uh, this airs, but on on July third is the signing of the of SB. 2571, the Senate bill in Hawaii, super exciting. And so, um, what comes after that is basically to be determined. On the all good side, we're raising awareness about the entire watershed. So going from reef friendly to river to reef friendly and looking at aquatic health across all different types of water systems and growing the, the concept of what goes in your body goes not only in you, but it also goes in lakes and rivers and streams and the oceans. So bringing that just watershed awareness. And for the Safe Sunscreen Council, I think just You can always contact us through the website and learn about what's going on, participating in anything that comes out or, you know, you can sign up for a newsletter. We're in the infancy of forming as a group, but in general, supporting any of these brands, you know, you're doing something right.
0: Awesome. So where can we go to find All Good online and also Safe Sunscreen Council?
1: All Good is allgoodproducts.com and Safe Sunscreen Council is safesunscreencouncil.org.
0: Do you know some eco-entrepreneurs, creatives, activists, or health nuts who would find this episode helpful and motivating? If so, I'd so appreciate it if you shared it with them. I'm so grateful, honestly, to have had these conversations. They've been so inspiring for me, and I can only hope that they've been the same for you as well. And hopefully, by sharing the wisdom of these thought leaders and pioneers with more people, we can help to elevate more people Uh, in this space who are also dedicating their time, efforts, skills, and talents towards rebuilding a healthier planet for us all. Thank you so much in advance if you get to do that. And now on to our final five and key takeaways. Let's power through. What's an inspiring publication or a social media account you follow?
1: I often try to turn off social media, but when I turn it on, I (laughs) love looking at National Geographic on Instagram. Mm
0: -hmm. It's
1: just uh, inspiring places and people and subjects and beautiful images.
0: What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired?
1: I think I have a general level of positivity. I have have a lot of gratitude for being positive. I think it comes easily to me. But what I know is that if my team or my family looks at me and uh, catches me, not feeling like something's going to turn out well, then I uh, tell myself to reset and be true to myself because I know that deep down it's positive. Mm.
0: What's one must do for your health, either daily or weekly?
1: Weekly is an easy one to answer. I, I make sure that I walk outside at night. So I find myself under the stars and if it's foggy, I'll listen for an owl. And if it's the right time of the month, I'll look up at the moon and take a moon bath. But being outside at night is a a good one. Mm
0: -hmm. What's one simple action we can take for our planet's health this week?
1: Eat a meal that is mostly dark green and is produced locally or even homegrown.
0: What makes you most hopeful for our planet right now?
1: I love what's happening between technology and nature connection. So I think both businesses and technological innovations are happening at the same time, this yearn to be more human and be more connected to our surroundings is really taking off. And between the two of them, um, uh, it's a beautiful time to be alive. Mm
0: -hmm. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers?
1: I think that the most important thing is to um, come from a place of gratitude. So be thankful and, and, uh, let's drive this whole movement forward from, from that place of gratitude and from uh, a place of excitement and curiosity and leave fear to the
0: side. Let's leave fear to the side and drive this all forward from a place of gratitude. That's so beautiful. Green dreamer here. are My two key takeaways. Number one, awareness awareness awareness. It's hard for policy to change without citizens first demanding for that change and it's also hard to inspire existing businesses to change without their consumers supporting that change. Within this eco-minded space it's easy to feel like most people already know about these issues so it can feel repetitive for us to talk about them over and over again But we're more likely to interact with people who think like we do. And the reality is that a lot of people are still out of touch with how we're harming our public health and our home environments. So just keep talking about it in positive ways and from a place of gratitude, like Caroline mentioned. Number two, if you're here, chances are you're a visionary and you're idealistic about the world that you want to see. And that's amazing because we need people like you to paint pictures of what our world could look like so that we can begin to work towards that. But on our ways there, just remember, progress over perfection. Definitely, you're going to hear this over and over again. I think it's so important to keep in mind because, you know, we have long ways to go. There are a lot of challenges that we face, but it's really just about doing what we can, given the options that we have so far, while at the same time, uh, challenging the status quo so that we can move everybody forward. Like Caroline has a clear picture of exactly what she wants her brand to look like, but she's had to work with the limitations that she currently has right now in terms of her options for packaging so yeah whatever you're hoping to do just be thoughtful about it do what you can and celebrate all the things that you are able to do and there, that's a wrap for this episode. You can find the show notes at greendreamer.com slash 37 and follow me on Instagram at Kamea shane, where I share some behind the scenes of producing this podcast, ongoing updates, inspirations, other nerdy things to do with holistic health and sustainability and so forth. I look forward to connecting with you there. And for now, just remember, now more than ever, Our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and Green Dreamer, I will catch you later.